If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Today's guest is Elise Chan. Elise is a published author, former reporter, editor, human resources professional, and also the host of Because of Horses, another horse lovers podcast. I'd like to introduce Elise. How are you today, Elise? I'm doing great, thanks. How about you, Glenis? Oh, great. Good to talk to you, Elise. You um, too, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Now, Elise, I normally start off with a favourite quote because I think a favourite quote <laughs> just gets people to know you a little bit better. So what have you got for us? Oh, my goodness. Well, so, you know, the, the, the first quotes that come to mind are from, you know, legendary individuals renowned for their love of horses like mm-hmm. Winston Churchill. But um, I have to tell you honestly that one of the first quotes that comes to mind is actually from uh, Buckaroo Banzai, which was this movie <laughs> that came out in okay. the 80s. I'm a sci-fi nerd. And it was no matter where you go, there you are. And I think the reason that I really love that that quote, and I keep coming back to it time and again, is the the reminder to be present, you mm-hmm. know, and and where you are in that moment is where you should mentally be, whether it's having a conversation like this, but particularly if you're working with your horses, you, you really need to be there and present and um, and engaged. Yes, yes. Even before you get to your horse, it's it's a matter of letting everything go and just enjoying the time that you spend. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, thinking about horses, because you've had a background doing author, reporter, editor, human resources professional, were they horse-related jobs or not? Not. Okay. Um, yeah, but... Um, so I, I should back up a little bit. Yeah, so I'm yeah. the child of um, a non-equestrian family. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of like the the cuckoo's child. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm the only one in my family yes, who loves yes, horses. Yes. And um, my first word literally was horse. We lived in the Virginia uh, horse country. Um, there were horse farms all around us, but we had a you know a small yard and no horses. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, my parents realized very early on that I absolutely adored horses, defying all logic. And so they, they let me ride from a very early age. I started riding when I was about two years old. And um, we ultimately, I, I had horses uh, throughout my, my childhood. We ultimately discovered uh, the U.S. Pony Club where I really got my first uh, bona fide instruction and, and, and genuinely learned horsemanship. Up to that point, I think I had an army of guardian angels watching over <laughs> me um, because we made every mistake in the book. I mean, there there wasn't a mistake that we missed, right? Mm-hmm, and yet, mm-hmm. thank goodness I survived them all. And it was at that point where I became uh, truly serious about riding. I was an inventor 
Um, uh, and here in the U.S., I evented on the East Coast and was very fortunate in you know the horses that I I was able to ride and the people I was able to work with. Um, but my my parents also told me that when I went off to college, my horse was not going with me, which <laughs> okay. was heartbreaking because yes. the school that I went to had a wonderful equestrian team. Mm. And 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 I think that that really translated for me, um, maybe at a subconscious level, that there's your passion, which was horses, and then there's the real world, which mm. was reporting yes. on Capitol Hill, being a writer, working in human resources, ultimately. And and, and so I followed these disparate paths where, you know, my weekends, my evenings, my vacation was all around horses. I had horses, but my my work, my career had nothing to do with them um, at that point. And it, 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 it was a whole number of years in the making, but ultimately um, it, it occurred to me that some of the happiest people I've ever met are those who have figured out how to uh, combine yes. the things that they are most passionate about with where they spend and how they spend the majority of their time. And that's that's a job. You spend more time on your job than you do with your family, right? Mm-hmm. Well, how wonderful if that happens to be with horses. And so the podcast, um, as well as some photography that I do, uh, is is all centered on horses and and our community of horse lovers. And so I get to talk horses, I get to be around horses, and it's, you know, the the angels are singing, the skies have opened, it's roses and sunshine every day. <laughs> so I finally got smart. Yes, yes. And and I think, too, you know, a lot of people do that now. You know, the, the horse industry has opened up so much, it's broadened, and to combine your love of horses with another career is just absolutely brilliant. You know, some people I talk to, they say, no, I've always had horses. I took a year off after I left school to do other stuff before I was going to start university. And then I never started university. Others have said, Mm, I'll go to university, but then I'll just do this bit of time with horses. And they've done horses. And other people, similar to you, have had a career, done other stuff, but come back to horses. So a bit of a mixture there. But in between there, I think you've written a book, is that right? Uh, yeah, I, I wrote yep. uh, a horse book, mm-hmm. a, a Parent's Guide to Riding Lessons, and it was endorsed by the U.S. Pony Club and Young Riders Magazine and, and a number of other organizations. But but really, Glennis, its um, genesis was in my own experience mm-hmm. as the child of non-equestrian parents. <laughs> yes, Um and how how on earth do you help them? And and what what really touched that off was I was doing a barn tour, um, and going around, and I I did some consulting in in the equestrian world, just you know on the side. And I went into a barn and I saw a terribly unsafe situation, and uh, it was a child involved, and and the mother was was standing there observing this. And I couldn't believe that this was being allowed to continue. And it, it occurred to me that parents who don't know anything about horses are are putting a tremendous amount of trust into an individual who has hung out their shingle and, and said, in effect, I know what I'm doing. You can mm. trust me. Yes. yes. And how could they possibly know not to? What questions should they be asking? What resources are available to them? What is their role in all of this? Because for non-equestrian people going into a barn, we we speak a different language. 
Um, we interact with these huge animals who have minds and interests of their own. And that can be incredibly intimidating. Mm. So I wrote this book from that perspective. And as the parent of a horse crazy child at the time, my daughter was uh, quite young. And um, it, it just kind of all came together in this book. And I was I was very fortunate that it uh, it struck a chord. So, um, yep, that's that's my equestrian book. Mm, mm. And I think, you know, like people do, they, it's almost like having a big dog. You know, we've got a dog, we don't need a license or any sort of training to have a dog, so we'll just have a horse and hope that it all goes okay. And, yes, if someone else has had a horse, then they obviously know more than us. But unless they're qualified and trained, they probably don't know as much as what they need to know. Well, and and that's actually absolutely true. And something I understand that's uh, unique to the U.S. is that in other countries, um, equestrian endeavors, sports and training are governed to one extent or another by the government. Mm -hmm. But in the United States, it's not. Anybody can hang out a shingle, qualifications, um, are uh, virtually irrelevant. And so we have one organization, the Certified Horsemanship Association, CHA, that uh, was established to to fill that gap, to promote safety and education throughout the entire horse industry, certifying instructors and accrediting equine facilities. And so this, this is a huge big deal if you can have a CHA um, certification, but how on earth would a non-equestrian parent do that? I mean, shoot, there, there are horse lovers who don't know this. Yes. yes. So it really is the wild west here. Mm, <laughs> and whatever mm, mm. you can do to help educate is important. Yep. Yep. And it's certainly tightening up in Australia to what it was. But one other thing is that we have is that we have barns. We do. It's a lot more established now than it ever was. But it's very easy just to have a horse in a paddock down the road, even to, you know, we've got so much space here, as you do there, but we've got a much lower population um, yeah. to just have, oh, we'll just get get a couple of acres and put a couple of horses in the backyard or we'll just rent off, um, you know, a lo- bit of a local area and we'll just put a horse down there. And there's not established barns the same way. No, I shouldn't say that because there are established barns. Um, they're called adjustment centres, but not quite in the same way that it is in, in the US, in the UK, in Europe. It's a little bit more open than that. So there's probably more areas for parents to make mistakes. It's a problem, but I think it's a matter of educating. Educating people to not hang out those shingles unless they actually know what they're doing. You know, they've got the qualifications, they've worked in that industry, they've got the experience, they've, um, you know, they're insured. It's a business. They should know what they're doing and also to the parents. It's, um, I see it as a matter of education. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now, you've got horses, you've had horses, you've competed, you've now got you know, as well as that, you've now got a podcast, you've got other things. Are you doing anything else? It's all just about combining your other skills with horses. That's your main thing you're doing now? Yeah, that's that's really how mm, it's come good, together. Good. Um, yeah, it, it's it's been uh, it's been great fun. I, I went through kind of an introspective phase in 2017 spring mm. and um, ultimately just decided that it was it was time to figure out, how to 
you know, take these two disparate parts of my life and yes. mold them into something that, that just made sense. And, Good. and so because of horses podcast, um, was born and, uh, the first episode was aired in, uh, October, 2017. And so we're now working, um, we're booked through late spring 2019, and we've got 66 episodes because it's a weekly podcast. Sure. Uh, 66 episodes completed. Yeah. Good. Good. It went fast, too. Yes, <laughs> it does. You know, and it's great talking to people. I love it. I just love it. I love talking to people like yourself, you know, who've combined your other passion with horses. But what would you say, just as a bit of a tip for people, if they would like to combine their other job, their real job with horse job, and it's a big leap. You know, it's a big step, especially if they're going from a full-time, well-paid job and running their own business. Would you recommend they do it part-time? Would you recommend they go all in? Or what would you say to them, just as a bit of a tip to get into that industry? Oh, golly. You know, I think it really depends on what your passions are. So, Mm -hmm. um, one of one of the things that I see time and time again is the unique way that people stitch those pieces together. Um, I've, I've I've met and interviewed uh, business professionals. You know, they've they've worked in the corporate world forever, and um, have been able to translate the skills that they learned in the corporate setting into a corporate setting that just happens to be in the horse world. You know, okay. it could be for a breed association. It could be for um, for a, a discipline association. It could be in the racing industry. It could be, you know, in any number of places. The, the key is having those skills that are translatable. And now I feel like I'm the HR person talking, but <laughs> um, re- really it's, it's taking a, a true assessment of what you have done, um, what skills can be translated into a different setting, and then having a really good understanding of what the horse world entails where you live. Um, you know, the, there are marketing professionals who specialize in the equestrian world. There are uh, shipping distribution centers that specialize in the equestrian world. They're broadcasters, um, television, radio, and podcast, of course, there, there's such a wide and diverse opportunity or, or, or series of opportunities within the horse world um, to be able to find your niche. The trick, though, I think, is in understanding what uh, capabilities you possess and then applying them maybe in a different way. I, I think traditionally, Glennis, people have thought about being in the horse world as being a rider, a competitor, yes. a trainer, you yes. know, hands-on in the barn. And, and that's all certainly true. But there are a million different ways you can be involved with horses and 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 in that environment and, mm-hmm. and in that wonderful community of horse lovers without actually touching a horse. And it feels almost, you know, like heresy to say that, but <laughs> it, it it is possible. And getting closer and into that environment is is so rewarding on its own. And then if you do get to put your hands on a horse, how wonderful is that? That's just icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I like the way that you, there was one point that, that you made about, you know, knowing what the horse world entails where you live, because if people are looking at a business, there's still going to be a need in the horse industry. And if there's not that need there, 
then there's no people that are going to provide that income because it still is a business. There's got to be the need there to be to put it out there to to hang your shingles. Yeah, yeah. But but you know, there's there's so many creative ways to do it. So one of the one of the first um, examples that comes to mind, if 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 you've ever seen it, is Life Between the Ears, which is a wonderful Instagram and Facebook. Um, social media community mm-hmm. that was founded by Christine Doms, who um, lives in Washington State in the United States. And Christine is a graphic designer, an incredibly talented graphic designer who loves horses. Yep. And so she created this, this following of, of tens of thousands, probably at 100,000 or more now, followers online. And they're all taking pictures from their their horses' saddles, so they're shooting between the horses' ears <laughs> okay. at whatever it is that they see around the world. And she's yeah. got people sending her photos from Morocco and Australia and New Zealand and Europe and the U.S. and Canada. I mean, all over the world, literally. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she takes these gorgeous photos and she curates them. And she's created, just because she loves graphic design and photography and horses, she's created this thing that didn't exist before. Mm, and mm. really has has developed its own life um, because she just imagined something different, you know? And, and, and so there's so many unique ways. That's what I was talking about before. There's so many unique ways to, to find a place for yourself in the horse world. Um, it's, it's one of the, the wonderful things, the many wonderful things about loving horses mm, is that there's mm. so many different ways to express it. Yes, yes, and certainly an international love as well. It's not just confined to one particular country. Yeah, Absolutely. And in fact, I think that one of the most unique aspects of loving horses is it transcends geography, country, politics, language, culture. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, all of us love horses from all over the world, all walks of life. We have that that commonality that really is a beautiful thing, particularly in today's day and age. We can connect and agree on this very fundamental kind of visceral experience. Yes. Yeah. And horses do that. They yeah. do. They do. Elise, tell us about, we were talking a little bit before the show and you were saying about one of your guests was quite intrigued by horses, didn't actually own horses, but wrote, I think you said he wrote a book about the Mustangs. Yeah. yeah so this yeah. is a this is a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter, a New York Times reporter, mm. who had never ridden a horse in his life, never owned a horse, never been around horses. Um, but something about the the Mustang um, had really caught his imagination. The the um, the image of the Mustang and all that it represents, independence and freedom, you know, these bedrock ideals. Um, and and as he began looking at the, the Mustang dilemma here in the United States, you know, his reporter instincts kicked into gear and he wanted to better understand, you know, what was going on with the Mustang, how we got to this mess of a place that we are right now. It's just, it's ridiculous. And and where on earth we're going to go with with the situation, but most importantly with these horses. And so he he wrote a book. Um, his name is David Phillips, 
and he wrote a book called Wild Horse Country. It was a New York Times bestseller, and I highly recommend it. it it's a wonderful foundational exploration of how we got to this place. And um, I thought before I read the book that I was I was fairly knowledgeable on the situation, and I learned a lot from it. And particularly, he poses um, some some potential solutions for where to go from here. And and some of it's out of the box thinking, mm-hmm. and some of it is just you know more clarified thinking. But you know, there's an example of someone who just loves the image of the horse and didn't have a personal experience with them, but could still connect and could share that experience with others, both people who love horses, but also people like him, who like the idea of horses, but didn't really know much about them personally. Yeah. What's one of the solutions? Or, you know, you said about the out-of-the-box solutions. It's, um, yeah, I'm just interested. But, you know, because he's coming in from a non-horse background, so he's not coming in on the side of, yeah, just anything. He's just coming in with a solution that may be one that's going to work. What, What did he suggest? Yeah. Yeah. And that was actually something that I told him. I said, I think maybe you're the perfect person exactly. to have written yeah. this book yeah. um, for that very reason. You got no no, you know, no skin in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that he suggested was, uh, it was twofold. So one was around birth control. That's uh, for the horses. That's not, you know, incredibly new, incredibly out of the box thinking, because we've been trying to do that on a, on a small scale for a while. The Bureau of Land Management is strapped for cash, and so that really is a a grassroots effort um, on the part of volunteers. But getting behind that from a governmental perspective and providing the funding to do it in a meaningful way is what he was recommending on the one hand. um, And there were some details involved in it that that really made that a feasible uh, possibility. But the other thing that he was saying is that we actually have a number of programs in the U.S. and the West that are geared toward eliminating predators. So mountain lions, cougars, they go by a bunch of different mm, names, okay. bear, um, wolves. Yes. And so nothing, nothing preys on these wild horses. Mm. And they are, in many cases, protected. And so their population is growing at about 25 to 27% annually, depending upon who you talk to. Wow. And in some areas, the range can support it, but in other areas, it can't. And at the same time, there's competition with natural wildlife um, and there are issues with ranchers and grazing and shared uh, shared spaces and, and lots of different complex issues. But he was saying, you know, pull back the bounty on predators and let's let's do some testing in different areas and see what predation does on controlling the population growth because there were a couple of areas that he studied where it just happened that predators had increased in numbers and what they were seeing in terms of the number of wild horses in those areas, uh, the population was being controlled quite effectively. Mm. And so take the bounties off. Well, you know, this is all government run and so the different agencies don't talk with each other. So the group that controls you know, the wild horse management is not the same group that determines whether or not we're going to have any kind of predator control um, programs out there, or bounties on these animals. And so everybody's at odds. They have their own little silo that they work within, but they're not really talking with each other. And so he was trying to be a conduit 
for that that process. And, and unfortunately, you know, bureaucracies are pretty pretty well dug in. Mm-hmm. It's a big problem. You know, we've got a problem here. It's can you and and that thinking out of the box. Um, maybe it is. Maybe it's not. But at least he's offered solutions. Yeah. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. I'm just thinking, Elise, who, um, you know, one of your most surprising guests on your podcast, who would that have been? Surprising someone you've thought, you know, that you could recommend that people go to your podcast and listen to this particular interview, in this particular guest. Oh my goodness, they've they've all been so remarkable. I um, know because if you asked me the same question, I wouldn't <laughs> be able to answer. But you know, it's um, yeah. Um, gosh, you know, I think I think probably one of the most unique, um, and he was absolutely delightful to talk with, was Mike Lodes. Okay. And um, Mike is a British military historian. He's a television host for Discovery. He regularly appears on the BBC. He's a popular presenter at the British Museum. He's an advisor on archaeological sites. He's a multi-published author. He's a fight choreographer. I mean, the guy is just phenomenal. But but I think what I what I loved most about talking with Mike is that he has this voracious intellectual curiosity, and he he's constantly reading he's constantly learning and 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 as he's doing both his imagination gets sparked and so he <laughs> wants to see if he can figure out how to do that and okay. so he'll go out and he'll build a chariot you know and and then he'll teach his horses to pull the chariot um he'll he'll figure out how to do a parthenon shot from uh from the back of his horse i mean you know he he does he does all of these these crazy things. Um, he's even advised on the creation of the video game Assassin's Creed. You know, I mean, he's he's just, he's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And so you talk with them and his energy and enthusiasm um, is just infectious and you want to, you just want to keep talking. Okay. Okay. Or well, I think that's that's probably a good one then to um, to get started on. But what are you looking forward to now? What have you got on the horizon? Have you got any more books? Have you got um, yeah? Just let us know what you've got planned. Oh sure. Um, well, we've got a long list of wonderful guests coming up um, well into the new year that uh, I'm so excited to be talking with, um, and and you know some of them are just particularly fascinating. There's a Paralympian from Germany who was just recently inducted into the National Cowgirl Museum and Hall of Fame in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, the uh, horse master, horse mistress um, for Game of Thrones and the Wonder Woman films, uh, Camilla Napru is is um, actually from England. And um, looking forward to getting her on the on the calendar as well for for a conversation. Um, just so many interesting people doing remarkable things with horses and and within the horse world. Uh, one one of the things that's always been fascinating to me, you know, you you, you talk with these guests and you think, okay, I got a pretty good handle on their niche within the the horse world, and as you talk with them, it's it's like the horizons just open up, and 
the things that you learn, you're like, oh my gosh, you did that. And and it it's just, it, it's remarkable. It's just so interesting to talk with them. And, and so many of them are giving back very quietly um, and, and in ways that are particularly meaningful to them. But they're they're doing that, and and it sounds a little cheesy, but they're making the world a better place, the horse world a better place, mm. um, by combining those skills that they have, the interests that they have, their love of horses, and then in, in some unique way, they're they're improving the world. Yep, yep, and I think this whole making the horse world a better place for horses is, um, you know, it's an important message to get out there. Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah, yeah. Elise, before we go, just tell us a little bit about, you know, if you had a philosophy that you would like to give to our listeners, just in a couple of sentences, what would you say to them? Oh, I think I think the one thing that really resonates with me, again, in, in so many of these conversations with guests, is it's very easy to look at these incredibly successful people, whatever it is that they're doing, photographers or competitors or filmmakers or whatever, and to only see where they are in their lives right now. But what everyone, every one of them will tell you is that all along the way they hit obstacles, they had sleepless nights, there was self-doubt, they had to recommit to their passion or their dream or their goals, sometimes on a day-to-day basis. It was not a clear and easy path. Um, we get to talk with them after they have achieved you know, some level of success, but the path was a, was a very rocky and difficult one for 99.9% of them. And it's that consistent, often daily recommitment to their goals, to their dreams, that I think is the most important lesson in all of it. Mm, mm. Yeah, I think something to think about there. Now, Elise, we're going to put your link to your podcast because of horses, but if people would like to contact you, how else can they do that? Can they go to becauseofhorses.com? Is that the best way? Well, there are a couple of ways. So, mm-hmm. yep, uh, the website is www.becauseofhorses.com. Um, my email address is Elise, E-L-I-S-E, at becauseofhorses.com. Um, we also have a wonderfully interactive and engaged community on Facebook on the Because of Horses page um, and, our, and our group as well. And so I'm in and out of Facebook every day. Um, I get IMs all the time and love to connect with people that way too. Um, unfortunately, I'm not as active on Instagram or Twitter. I know a lot of people are. I just don't get either one of them. <laughs> so Facebook is where to find me. Okay. Okay. That's good anyway. That's good to, uh, to contact you. And those details will be on your page, which will be horsechats.com slash Elise Chan. Or just go to horsechats.com, search for Elise, search for Chan, and you'll find Elise's details, podcast details. Elise, why Because of Horses? Was there particularly a reason you chose that name or you just thought all along it was Because of Horses? You know, it just, it really resonated for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the why. Yes. Why are you why are you doing this? Whatever this might be for you personally. Well, because of horses. Yep. You know, yep. the, the paths that the guests are on. Well, how did they get on that path? Well, because of horses. You yes. know, and, and, and no matter what their path was, that was always the answer because uh-huh. of horses. Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. Uh, that makes sense then. Yep. 
Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Good to talk to you. And I will um, talk to you again sometime soon. I'd like to get you back again just to ask you a little bit more in depth about uh, some of the things that you're doing. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. I look forward to it. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 